Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Good, we're ready. Here with another red podcast episode today. And I am, as always, bringing you women who are leading from the edge of their revolutionary selves, who are here embodying a new kind of feminine leadership, divine feminine leadership in the world, living as example, living as role models, living as the breathing red women. Red women have always been here. They've always been part of our societies and our cultures. And there is a resurgence happening of red women. And these are the women that are, tend to be a little outspoken, tend to be a little opinionated, tend to be a little fiery. <laughs> and today's no exception whatsoever. I have with me a beautiful being by the name of Anna Suya Isaacs. Hello, darling. Hello, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me on your red, 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 should be red, should be heard, should be seen. <laughs> Red podcast. Well, I want to tell you a little bit why I've invited Anasuya Suya onto the Red podcast today. I have known of you, my darling, for quite a while through Shiloh Sophia's community. And one of the things that Anasuya is, is a intentional creativity artist and leader of in that world. But more recently, we were together on an Easter Moonrise celebration for the Magdalene. Yes. And I heard this beloved sister here rousing up and talking about the revolutionary nature of Magdalene as a social justice figure. And yes. I yeah. was totally taken by that idea. Um, as you know, the Magdalene has been a really, really important figure in the inspiration behind the Red Podcast and behind the Red Woman Movement. And so I thought, what better way than to discover the connection between the Magdalene, the social justice movement of today, the Black Madonnas of ancient history, and the whole kind of movement of the wild, fierce, compassionate feminine that is here to be heard, to be seen, and to stand for the rights and the inclusion of all beings in all places mm -hmm. and um, that ministry. And so I know that's your ministry, sister. And so Absolutely. I'm, here, I'm here to raise you up on this platform and have your voice heard as one of the voices that's holding what I feel to be a really important piece of what it is for us to stand in feminine leadership. So 
I know we've already had this conversation off, 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 off camera behind the curtain. And so I'm wanting to start here because I just loved some of the stories that you were telling me. So why don't you tell us how, how did it all begin for you on this path to find the mother goddess, to, to reclaim your connection and to bring forward this body of knowledge that you're now standing in around the Black Madonna? I want to, I want to start at the beginning. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, the beginning is is fascinating in hindsight. Didn't yeah. know how much it would lead to a, a, a total lifelong journey mm -hmm. to searching for the mother. So um, when I was a child, I spent weekends either with my maternal grandmother or my paternal grandmother. And one of the things they made sure that my brother and I got was a good uh, relationship with the Lord. So we would go to church <laughs> on Sundays when we were at grandma's house. And so I remember very specifically uh, a Sunday in church where I was, of course, dressed to the nines because you cannot be a black child and not look good for the Lord. So um, I had my hair all done up. I was in a beautiful dress. I had my lace socks on with black patent leather shoes that were completely shiny and little white gloves on and a purse. Oh, what an image. Come on <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm sitting there um, on the, which side am I on? I'm on the left side of my grandmother and uh, the right side of my, my brother was on the right side of my grandmother. And I remember so specifically looking up at the, uh, the altar where of course all the pews are directed at and seeing an image of Father God and Jesus. And I remember so clearly as day saying out loud, now, you know, where's the mother? And my grandmother said, shh. And I said, Grandma, where's the mother? She said, whose mother? I said, well, Jesus. And she said, what do you mean? And I, um, uh, she says, uh, what do you mean? I said, well, you got Father God, and then you have Jesus, and then you have a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it always mother, father, child? <laughs> and I must have said it so loud, or the church was so quiet, or some combination of the other, because all I could hear is, more silence than it was <laughs> on my right knee and leg. Stop talking foolishness. I didn't have no wife. And I said, and I, I, I was nearly crying because it didn't expect to get smacked in church. That's when you're supposed to be on your good behavior. And I said, that's naughty. You're not supposed to hit me. <laughs> oh, Lord, really? Uh, and I was just like, oh. And I remember, I said, well, I can't ask that question again. But it just was a seed got planted just in the silence in the church yeah, and the smack that came. Woof, right? I have it to just tell you. something in that moment, seared it. Right, of course. You know, I have, I have literally, you told me this story when we chatted off air and I have literally shared this story about five times with people. 
because the whole notion of you saying that as a child out of the world were, you know, the mouth of babes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like there's the father, there's the son. And what's that bird? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I don't even know if I knew it was a dove. Right. It was just a bird. It was just a white bird. And I just, I remember not understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. Like father, bird, son. (laughs) And it sounds so ridiculous when you say it now, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's so obvious. It's so obvious. I I clearly didn't know, you know, there was no explanation at that time. So my Sunday school was, you know, needing some help. Um, But there was no explanation that that as an adult, I would say, okay, if I was still inside of that particular dogma, I would say, well, the Father God sends out the Holy Spirit, which is represented by the dove. It's a metaphor. Um, sends out the Holy Spirit that came through Jesus into us. So I get it now. Yeah. But it still wouldn't have lined up, even if I understood that at five. No, <laughs> uh, um, I I still wouldn't understand why there's no wife and mother. Yeah. You know, um, I think if I had been raised Catholic, I would have understood mother in the sense of um, Mary but not mother in the sense of wife of God, right? wife of father God. I would have had some inkling of it, but growing up in the Protestant, very Baptist, that we don't have any, there's Mary at the birth and there's Mary at the cross. And in the middle, there's this one scene when she's shamed by Jesus who says, I have no more father, um, mother or father. I have no more siblings. He who follows, he or she, who follow, no, no, she, he who follows me is my family. Mm-hmm. And then turns her away. And I'm like, I know kind of patriarchal rewrite of shit because no way that the man who honored women in every one of his miracles and every one of his um, encounters where he's determining a departure from what had happened in the Old Testament was with a woman. Mm-hmm. So there's no way his respect for women would be come out as disrespect for the woman who gave birth to him. So I know that is some patriarchal bullshit. Like, oh, can I say that? Uh, <laughs> you just did, sister. You just did. <laughs> so that's another thing. But, but, but the point is, as a Protestant, we don't have a concept of the importance of Mary, Mother Mary. We don't have uh, an, a, a sacred honoring of the mother who gave birth to Christ. So with that, the Protestants don't have access to um, uh, a, a maternal, mm-hmm. uh, uh, some sense of divine that is feminine. She's lowercase God and Father God is big, big G. Uh, and, and then, you know, Catholics are hesitant to say, well, she's God too. Well, she's divine. Well, she God. well she's divine. So they, you know, they play around with words, you know, but at the same time before the Council of Nicene, um, re- rewrote her. Um, she was Mother God, and then they transferred her or demoted her, as I call it, to Mother of God. So she has more importance than any other human, but not God status. And so that demotion says a lot about where um, the Hebrew, well, it wasn't Hebrew, and they weren't Jewish at this time. They they had different names. They were they weren't even monotheistic at the time. So the people who have become modern day Hebrews slash Jews um, at one had Mother God as Asherah, wife of God. 
um, the, the divine sacred feminine, you know, also comes through the Shekinah or the Shekinah, um, which is that Holy Spirit, um, the, the, the Ruach, which is also what in Hebrew is the Holy Spirit, is feminine. Always being implied feminine goddess, mother God energy. So when we left as Christians, when that set of truths got created, it was intentionally left behind all references, references to God in a feminine form. Even though if you carefully look at the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are many references to God as a woman, God as a mother, God um, in a feminine form, many, 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 many that are hiding in plain sight. And when I ask people who follow that tradition um, very uh, seriously, um, who that is their path, and I ask them about these references, they said, you know, I never thought about it as really feminine. I thought it was just like, like. I said, well, but it says mother here. It says, it says these things right here. You never thought there was a mother God? No, no, never thought it was a mother God. And I'll be darned, it is right there. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how much the gaslighting has been successful over the millennia to just like, even if you see it, you don't see it. <laughs> even if it says it right in, in, in plain, uh, retranslated and, and gutted traditions, it's still there. Even though it's been gutted, it's still yeah. there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. guy had a wife for millennia. Uh, um, in, in the Abrahamic tradition. So I'm not even talking about pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, because Jewish as a religion didn't exist um, forever. It hasn't been around that long. People don't want to see that. But yeah, there, there are timelines for the development of things um, that's been documented from an archaeological and genetic standpoint. So, you know, pre-Christian religions that have been um, labeled paganism so that people don't go explore them. <laughs> but they are still there and can be explored if one were willing to look. And you would find that God was a woman for most of the 60,000 years that they have documentation of us worshiping yeah. the divine. God was a woman for like six, uh, like, 55, 53, 57,000 years of those. I mean, this, this is a, the, the domination of male gods is a very new phenomena mm -hmm. based on destruction, control, domination. Yep. And I really want to just, I, I, I mean, hashtag Ray, God had a wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hashtag God was also a woman. <laughs> hashtag God oh. has been a woman for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and it's, it's very interesting because, you know, in all of the, the matter what culture you look at, mm. um, whether you look at the Syrians, the Phoenicians, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, um, it, it, just keep going. Scan, scan all the areas. Before this advent of the male dominant God form, God was a woman and she had a consort, which was of lesser power. That was either a son or a husband, mm -hmm. not a God, but son. 
had divine divinity in them by birth or by creation. And so what the male dominant path came and did was reverse it, mm-hmm. elevated the lower son slash husband and demoted the goddess all across the line, mm. everywhere. And so, you know, in doing so, mm. you know, they had to erase people's relationship with that goddess that had protected them and guided them and nurtured them and saved them from famine and from wars and from drought and from all kinds of things, you know. Well, that, that, that leads into a longer story, but yes, the, the, <laughs> before this, the, the, the very same goddesses that were the source of life and light and nourishment and sustenance um, was demoted and became pagan. And the male consort became a god you follow and trust and believe in. Wow. Okay. <laughs> The one I gave birth to is now going to dominate me. Okay. Oh, now it's going to control me. Okay. It's now going to shut my mouth and take out my womb and uh, cut off my breast and then tell me to be happy about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see what's going on here. Genocide. (laughs) Matricide. Democide. Okay. Got it. Thank you for letting me know what the new world order is, mm-hmm. you know, that we have been under, mm-hmm. you know, for the last uh, maybe four to 5,000 years. You know, it's very, very new. Very, very So as we hear that, you know, one of the things that I'm struck by is the memory that you're bringing up in our bodies when you're speaking into the timeline. Yeah. The timeline of the last four to 5,000 years of the rise of this epoch that is now in demise, known as patriarchy. It's had its day. We all know it's had its day. We all can feel it staggering around in its death throes, trying to hold on to control and all of the things, right? And we Mm -hmm. can see the ravages of that. Yes. What I'm super curious about from your own lens, darling, is, you know, as a woman who is standing in this lineage of those who are speaking this other this other viewpoint, right? This viewpoint <laughs> you've just been sharing. How did you arrive there? Because this journey of this five-year-old in church going, mm, who's that bird? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just super curious because so many of the women that I talk to in my world and that are probably listening to this, we've all been on a journey of reclamation and remembrance because Ooh, this stuff that's a is, good one. right? This is stuff is not available to us in our history books. It's not really available to us. It's not being taught to us. We're not being initiated. We don't have priestess temples. We don't, you know, at least we haven't had. We do actually have one now by the way honeys but <laughs> they, they are rising up and being remembered but the truth yeah, is we that's don't have really good. Right? That's really good right we don't that's really important it is to, really important to remember and reclaim those those are wonderful yeah. verbs just yeah. at the root of the word remember when you go etymology we we have the word member that's right which happens to be limb part of so your member we know on our bodies we have members we have our fingers have members our arms and legs are members we have parts so to remember is to put our parts back together again mm-hmm. that which has been separated mm-hmm. so remembering is putting back what has been stolen 
deleted, erased, burned, effaced, or demonized. Mm -hmm. So remember is our way of reclaiming the truth that always is, always was, and always shall be, though at the moment it has been very well hidden. And that is the truth of the innate divinity that is woman, that is feminine, the innate sacredness that is woman, that is womb, that is feminine. There's nothing in the systems, and systems are just a patriarchal form of keeping an order of lies in place. And they've been built like roads. <laughs> They're very well old machines that keep lies and misinformation and disinformation and miseducation and oppression in place and many other things, but that's the core. So reclaim, remember is very, very, very important for us to understand the value of who we are as women. Now, you asked me a very good question how I got to that. Uh, I got to there um, by going on a journey, which I didn't know I was going on. Okay, so I was constantly reading as a child teenager, uh, woman in university, um, books. I was constantly being drawn by stories written by women, uh, written by women who had been marginalized by society, so by Black Latino women, uh, by Native American women. I would be was so thirsty for stories told from a feminine lens. That doesn't mean women were the heroes all the time. It doesn't mean uh, women were not showed in the complex diversity of our human frailty uh, and humanity. Um, but I just knew something kept saying I wanted what was being denied to me. You know, what was being offered in class were mostly books by male authors with male protagonists. And I just kept saying, well, I want to know something else. Um, and so I had always, in reading this, I had seen that a lot of the autobiographies that I was reading, so I was fascinated on how people became who they became. And I started to see that a lot of the writers that I was gravitating to, a lot of the voices that had touched me and, and gave me an, a sense that I wasn't crazy, even though nobody was talking to me about the things I was curious about. And they all had done time in Paris. So I, I came to the conclusion I wanted to be a writer. And in order to be a good writer, I had to do time in Paris because that's what all my favorite writers did. They spent time in Paris and something about that place makes you a good writer. That's what my eight-year-old, that's what my eight-year-old mind came up with. And damn it, she was right. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That's so, so poetic. So, <laughs> you know, my eight-year-old was a smart little kid. So uh, totally. literally as I after from college I saved money and I said I'm going to Paris and I wanted to go um because I was keeping my word to myself and secondly because I, I wanted to go into the foreign service and one of the requirements is to be completely fluent in the language and get a master's degree in international relations economics or one of those things so I knew I had to do both and I knew I had studied French for nine years but something told me that um I, my French would get better if I spent time actually in France versus, you know, one to two hours once or twice a week uh, in school. And sure enough, when I got there, I saw that my tongue was heavy as wood. <laughs> and 
speed that was so fast and my, my classes looked like molasses. And I said, oh my goodness, I, you know, at least I can understand them, but Lord, can my tongue catch up with them? But what was fascinating in this time period of being in Paris for that summer um, was that I started having this awakening there that I know in hindsight, did not know what was going on at the time. I just knew that there was something about me was coming alive in very unexpected, unknown ways. Mm. I, I, I couldn't, I, I, in hindsight, I can tell you all of this, but in telling you as, it, as that 22-year-old, I didn't know what hit me. All I know is I just felt alive for the first time. Like it was the first time I had exhaled. And was aware mm. of the life coursing through my body that I had no consciousness of before I got there. Um, mm. And in that time there, I was, my curiosity about everything just exploded. And so I started to look for, I, no, I, that's not saying too much. I'm saying I was smart. I wasn't that smart. I was started to see that I was gravitating toward People, I was meeting people there who were on spiritual paths I had never heard of. So I never heard of the Sufis. Well, I went to their ceremonies and said, I love the Sufis. Sufis and started studying their way and thinking, this is pretty damn amazing. Like, wow, you can be ecstatic. God could be the lover. God could be your best friend. God could be your, 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 your mother. All these ways that God could be as the beloved, I had never, ever heard of. Mm. I'm like, how did they, and they knew this all this time that you can have a bhakti, well, I'm not there yet. You can have an ecstatic relationship that is intimate and fun and playful and jovial with, with the divine that never came across the very doom and brimstone. And if you do the wrong thing, you're going to hell where I was raised. There was no hell with the Sufis. There was no abomination. <laughs> there was no, you can get it wrong. And I'm like, What? So that was amazing. And then, you know, I started meeting other people and uh, the new group started to introduce me to Kabbalah. And I said, what's this? And I was like, well, it's Judaism, but not. And I'm like, huh? And, and then I saw it was the mystic tradition of Judaism in the same way that the Sufi is the mystic arm of Islam. And I, then I started to put two and two together that when you're doing the mystic trip, you're doing something, you're studying something that that's been hidden from even the group is from. So yes, both Jews and uh, Muslims know about Sufism and Kabbalah, but most of them are like, mm, we don't deal with that stuff. Well, those are the kind of things, honestly, I really likes. Really don't deal with it. I want to know why. And, um, and I saw the Kabbalah. That's where I got my introduction to the Ruach as the Holy Spirit is feminine its mother and the Shekinah glory is a form of that Holy Spirit that is feminine. And that's when I saw that Ashra was the wife of God. And yes, they know. And I'm like, you said, what about the folks that I'm supposed to be in line of? I mean, I, as a Jewish, uh, as a Christian follower of uh, Yeshua, uh, that's my tradition. And my tradition says there's a wife of God and we never got that memo. What? So my mind went, then I start found out about the Rosicrucians and boy, did they have a beautiful way of going the Rose Cross. And I'm like, why don't we talk about the Rosy Cross? Well, that's this mystic thing of Christianity that we don't talk about, but it's there. And look at that, all this inclusivity of the feminine. 
So what Paris became to me in that short three months was the city of lights. Okay, you say, well, that's already the city of lights. Well, for me, it became the city of inner lights. All of my inner lights started to wake up. Bam, 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 bam. They all started to turn on. They all started to illuminate the mystic world that was in me, waiting for me to discover it. And that led me um, to India, to, to the path of Siddha Yoga, which is the path of Siddhas is the realized beings. But what makes Siddhas unique in terms of the world of realized beings like the Buddha and Jesus Christ um, is that they, when they uh, attain that enlightenment, they stay in the body so that they can teach others and make more siddhas before they leave. Whereas most realized beings, when they attain that state, they announce it, they give their final teaching and they leave the body. And the point of that is to not incur new karma, which would have them get back in the wheel again of karmic debt. So they leave the body immediately so that they can like, shoo, slate cleared. <laughs> siddhas take the chance of recurring their karma by staying in the body to teach and lead the way and show the mystic path that leads to that enlightenment and where you can be enlightened and stay in the body. You can be enlightened and be a householder. You can be enlightened and be in an ashram or a monastery. You can be enlightened and be in the woods. You can be enlightened in any way of your choosing. And that's when all of these other paths that I've been introduced to started to make sense because they were all inside of Siddha Yoga. In Siddha Yoga, there is an honoring of the Sufis, of the Kabbalists, of, of all the mystical paths, where there's the Baha'i faith. There's so many, so many. And that's when I said, okay, now I understand it. And what Siddha Yoga brought me to by being inclusive and embracing of all the ways that mysticism leads to the truth of who we are, which is why they, the Kemetics, where most people know is Egypt, but Egypt's name is really Kemet. The, the Kemetics teach know thyself and know that self is know the self that is divine, know the self that is one with the universe, know thyself as a cosmic being at one with both the earth and sky, know thyself in the wholeness and fullness of your I am that you are of the I am that I am that I am. Know thyself. And that led me back to the Black Madonna, which is Christian. And I didn't know she existed because back nothing about Mary. <laughs> so let alone that she's like elevated to this high level of uh, the God path. And so that's my full circle moment. And it took all of my life to do that journey, but I loved it every step of the way. Mm. So delicious and inspiring you know i just to feel all the weaves and i think one of the things that that you know in that remembrance and reclamation journey that you've just spoken about for yourself you know everyone who's listening i just want to encourage you to feel the journey you've been on for a moment because this is one of the things i know as red women is that we are being called to reweave to rethread to mm. bring back into wholeness that which has been rent asunder just as you said that remembering process because it's in us it's already in us. We already. have it in our DNA. We have it in our blood and our breath and our bones. It's there. Our lineages mm. are there. Our bloodlines are there. We're connected into those stories. And eventually we're all connected to each other and the same mother. And and that is what. Oh, really and that that's not right. just a spiritual truth. That's no. also genetic. It's a, it's a and genetic anthropological truth. truth. Yes, that's right, honey. <laughs> and so there is no mother for one group and not and a mother for another group. There's exactly. no Jewish mother, Catholic mother, 
mother, there's no Muslim mother, there's no, uh, there's no different mothers. There's the one that came out of Kenya or Ethiopia because there's one back and forth where the first. And you'll find her if you go back genetically, you'll find her. (laughs) And that goes back to the first mother, mitochondrial Eve, which is mitochondrial cell is how passed down from mother to daughter. Which we all All have, by the way. And if you're born, if you're born today, if you're homo sapien, you all have the same mother. A black woman from Africa who just wandered far enough away just so that her genes can spread the globe. Those are the the homo sapiens that we have become all descendants of mitochondrial Eve. See, so this is this is this is a truth to sit in for a moment that if you you know this, you may have heard it, you're hearing it again. You're hearing again right now because we're presencing something here around not just um, one of us, but all of us and the shared story that we carry. Yes. So tell us about the Black Madonna because I know that most of us don't really know who this chick is. <laughs> yeah, well, and we and we don't, and that's been on purpose. Right. Exactly. That's, that's by design, just like we don't know that God was a woman for millennia, <laughs> not just for a minute, not for a thought. When they go back and dig up, because that's all they seem to want to do is go dig up the dead. <laughs> But when they do that, they find that the way that human beings have worshipped since the beginning of time, since before words, since before the written word, I should say, because they had some language. Before, 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 when you go all the way back, God was a woman. And just think about it. They knew what they knew by experience. The world was an experiential Mm. place. Mm -hmm. So they experienced day and night. They experience season change. They experience the call of the wild. They experience the forces of nature. And they saw again and again and again that women gave birth to children, which meant new life. So already God was a woman in that form. They also knew that it was women who understood the life cycles of the earth to know when to plant what. Women had their, were in sight, in sync with the movement of the earth and the moon by their blood cycle. So they understood how the placement of stars and the moon let them know what's going on in their body and let them know how to treat the earth, what to plant, when, when, what area was covered with safety and which one wasn't. They knew where the water was by looking at the sky. They knew where the water was by feeling inside their bodies. So these women understood what to plant and when, which was sustenance. Because if you think about it, they were hunter-gatherers, most of them. Well, hunting was a tricky game. You could, Those men could go out for hunting and come back in three days or three months. Uh, and I don't know how many of them they lost to dinosaurs, but what sustained the tribe? What sustained the village? Or what the women knew to grow? how the women knew how to take advantage of what the earth was giving it, how they knew how to nurture the earth to give it more of it, or how they knew how to determine which plants were poisonous, which plants you use for medicine. So they understood that women understood how to keep them alive through sustenance, through food, and through medicine. So that, the birth, food, medicine were divine things in their eyes. So God had to be a woman because God gave life, God gave food, God gave sustenance, and God gave healing. 
it wasn't about women are better. It just was their experience of life, had it be that God must be a woman. It, it cannot be any other way. There's not one person that didn't come through the womb and the legs and the vagina of a woman. Not one. So long, which is how I know Eve had to have been first because there's no way Adam was just shaped out of quick. That's a different thing. <laughs> Woo. Let's That's just, a different thing. Yeah, well, um, I just want to underscore what you just said for a sec here because this was, I wrote it down because I was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. God gave food sustenance and healing. It wasn't around, about women being better or men being worse. It wasn't about that. It was the fact that there was a witnessing of the fact that life came through women's bodies. Yes. And food came through women's hands and medicine came right. through their hands. Right. Women knew how to make the salves, make the potions, make that those healing bombs. They knew how to lay their hands on people and bring forth life, their hands and their wombs and their voice. Because you had to do incantations. You had to do certain prayers. You had to sing over things. So they knew there was a connection between the womb and the voice. And I do a lot of work with people around rediscovering the voice, vagus, nerve, vagina connection, the three Vs. Because, you know, people don't understand that all embryos, Every single embryo, there's not one that doesn't exist that doesn't start off female. We like to think, you know, Freud and all of his bullshit, <clears throat> sorry, mislabeling, uh, said that women are failed men. And that's why they're so upset and have hysteria. Well, actually, men are failed women in the sense that every embryo, embryo is for the first 11 weeks female. Every single one. And it later, it comes the designation that came from the sperm that says male has the clitoris become a penis and has the labia become the testes. People don't understand that. Well, they do now. We, we, <laughs> we, we allow our bodies to morph into men. Mm -hmm. We allow it. It is a surrendering that allows us to be changed into male. Because we could, we could have rejected that sperm. There's no, more scientific evidence right now that uh, the woman, the, the egg is not being heavily pursued uh, by all these sperms and is attacked and uh, raped and, and then she's forced to, uh, to conceive. No, what the science is showing now is that the egg actually stops the oncomers and chooses Mason do a dance and she chooses which sperm she wants. She actually chooses the one that she wants to become. That is a sign of our innate divinity that has not been lost, that's in ourselves, that's in the programming of who we are as women. Right. It's a radical, <laughs> it's a radical thought. It's a radical departure from the lies we've been yeah. taught. It really is. It really is. Talk it's about conscious very, conception. It's, it's conscious, intentional conception. Yeah. And it has, of course, a lot to do with um, karma. It has a lot to do with quite a few factors, but that doesn't change the fact that she's choosing and surrendering to one of them. She don't care how many thousands you send. She only picking one and she's going to tell you which one she wants. 
Rusty y'all can skedaddle and flush away they go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, this is, you know, one of the things that, that Plato and the cynics and Plato and all the rationalism and Plato and all of the philosophies that came from my, I think therefore I am and all that bullshit was the intentional removing away from life as experiential life as intuitive life as um, uh, of surrender because that meant they couldn't control us. If you value experience and what you can see, if you if you in if you uh, value and allow inclusion and things to be circular, which means everyone around that fire got to tell a story, everyone had a say, everyone's voice mattered, and how the governing of that village and tribe went. When you have a circular world, which is the womb, which is the matriarchal, which is the matrifocus lineage, when you have God as a woman, then everyone is included. Everyone has a say from the little baby to the, 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 the elders. They all have a say in the matter. And what the, the Greek philosophers came and did is said, hey, but if we keep allowing people to have this say, then we can't control them because they're in intuition will always lead them back to a truth that we are not, that is not the one we're putting out. Mm. So they had to demonize experience. So if you weren't thinking, if you didn't have an objective, rational mind, then you had no value. You were crazy. You were out of this world, out of your mind, literally. Um, as opposed to, no, you are intuitive feeling in sync with nature, in sync with the earth spins, in sync with the cosmos being. And that is what became demonized. Because one who knows that one with the universe cannot be controlled, cannot be governed, cannot, well, is not going to have it. Mm-hmm. And that just all happens to be very feminine qualities. <sighs> <laughs> there's so much richness in what you've just shared Han. like there is so much in there we could we could we could have conversations for days literally oh yeah the the the, when we allow ourselves to go back into the heart of the matter Mm. it's a deep dive Mm, mm, mm. so when did you first find this black madonna piece because this is all connected into your into into france and into the history that's in yeah france. you know thank you for because right. i did forget i forgot you did yeah, ask me it's that all so good. thank you very it's much so she you spoke know, through you you know she well, has well, things to say well the, well the reason why i told the story of the original formation and understanding of god as a woman is because those goddesses mm-hmm. that uh that took a form in their in their statues that took a form in their clay objects that took a, a form on the, the cave walls were, were feminine. And those ones be, had names. And all of those ones uh, became stronger and stronger as each generation that survived understood that they survived because of this uh, divine mother or the grand mater or the great matter, which is form. Uh, so the grand mater, the great mother, is the great matter. So yes, she matters greatly. She was always a dark form. She was always dark as in black. Not in a sense of race, because at this time race is not an issue. But dark as in 
the mystery of the womb. What's going on in that belly? Don't understand that. Black, black, as in mystery. What's going on in the cosmos? We're connected to the stars. We understand how we're related to the formation of the stars and the planet. And we they understood astrological changes, but it was mysterious. The sky, the night sky was black. They understood that the earth gave birth to the food they ate and the medicine they ate, but the soil was rich and black and dark and mysterious. How did the earth on this land make food that grew? And on the land, a couple of feet away or a mile away, nothing could grow there. What was go- There was mystery in the earth. So everything they saw that went with the sustenance, the birth and the healing was black and dark and fertile, like the womb. So these all these early forms of goddesses, no matter where they were in the world, were black. So black Madonna, black mother, black mother God existed the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if they intrinsically knew that they all came from a single African woman, Ethiopian woman, or not. But their concept of the vastness and mystery of this thing bigger than us was black and feminine. And when you look at all of the, even if you call them the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Samaritan, the Babylonian gods, when you see them described like Sibel, all of them, they, they say in their description, black, dark mother, black. So what the Christian church did was see that when they went into the invaded different lands and saw that the people were still worshiping uh, God in the form of woman, that all of these temples they went to had these powerful black goddesses um, that they were worshiping, some with children, some not. And they said, you know, we want you to now follow this, our God, Jesus. And they're like, why? Well, he's great. He's good. He's good. So does all these things and he resurrects people. Well, so does ours. Um, but he gives license to stand. So does ours. So, okay. So they, they weren't able to match and line up, line up word for word for his actions, because they had known Mother God to do the same things, if not more, because even though Jesus could do many things, still couldn't give birth, still <laughs> bring life. So they're like, he, he can't be all of that if he can't give birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they kept running into that reality. So what they did was um, try to destroy their temples and built and built their churches say now you have to come and convert and go to our church and it was through suppression through murder through forcing that the people went to those churches but then after church they would go back to the place where their temple used to be and still did their worship the way they did before they were not abandoning the goddess that had sustained them for millennia and so the church got wind of this and started to see that they could they could well the people were doing what they said they were coming to church and they were doing their tithing because they were forced. That's the way the Romans got the taxation. Um, but they said, why did they keep going back to that spot? So then they understood that there's, these people were so in sync with the earth that they understood that the ley lines are where the power is. And they had built their temples on top of ley lines. So the churches then started being built on top of these old temples to, to take advantage of the ley line energy. And they saw that when people... We built over it. First, they were aghast. And then they said, we want our mother back. So what they started to do was put their original black mother in the basement of the churches, in the crypts. Right. Yeah. And then Jesus and white, white mother, white Madonna, upstairs. That's right. And so that's where a lot of the black 
Madonnas are in the crypts of these great churches and great cathedrals mm -hmm. because the people would not have it any other way. They're like, no, now you've taken over our temple. We can't go back and worship where you were. You've got to do it. And that's how that um, partnership mm -hmm. was fueled. Mm -hmm. They knew they couldn't wipe it out and they wanted them to say, well, uh, you know, change the name. So they changed the name to all the black Madonnas that existed before Christianity. They changed, forced them to change the name to Mary, but people still worshiped her the way they had before using their original name. It just never got written down because that would go against calling her Mary. So that's how the black Madonna came into being as the black mother and child, black mother, Jesus, Mary and Jesus uh, that we have today. And so when you honor or when you go to see a black Madonna, and use and even and even better if she's in the crypt because she's in her earth form. She's below the earth. She's inside the earth where she's her strongest. You know, right on top of those ley lines. You that is why people can go and to those churches and see the white Madonnas and feel you know like okay, great, this is beautiful, lovely, beautiful sculpture. They they may feel something, but they beyond a doubt feel something when they go and see the black Madonna mm -hmm. because she is original she is ancient she is the original mother who gave birth to all of us literally and figuratively and she has been protecting the people in that land forever so that land itself is sacred she's been protecting the generations that lived on that land forever and in europe most of them don't leave that radius of where they grew up so a lot of those families are original families that have been there 10, 12 generations, you know? So that's right. Been watching over them that whole time. Yeah. And you can feel that eternity. You can feel it. If you have the eyes to see and the, and the, mm -hmm. the senses are tuned to mm -hmm. feeling spirit, you, she is undeniably alive mm. and real Helen, welcome. and still healing. Still granting miracles. And every you go see the, uh, what they call it, expodies on the wall where people have said all the miracles that she's granted, all the miracles and all the answered prayers are up there, whether they're in the form of uh, uh, the crutches that they don't need anymore, the glasses that they don't need anymore, you know, all the things that they had in their infirmities. They put them on the wall and say, thank you. You, you, you see that there. In the, in the temples so, so that people know the Black Madonna is still alive and still doing her business, even though she's been obscured, hidden mm -hmm. um, behind a veil on the bottom. Yeah. And, and, and it, it wasn't long after discovering her that I started to see the, the parallels to her and Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. Because you have white Madonna who is... Um, the one exalted, the one at the behind the altar, the one in the stained glass. But and really, a lot of these old churches that did not dishonor the Black Madonna, see the Black Madonna in the stained glass. You'll see them both. Nevertheless, when you have her, people went to worship the White Madonna because they understood that she was the pathway to get in heaven. Mm. The church had beat it into them that if you don't have her blessing, you will go to hell. You have to go to her to get to Jesus, to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Like you just, there's a lay of people you had to go through. First you had to go to the priest. Then you have to go through the bishop. Then you have to go to the Pope. Then you have to go through Mary. Then you have to go through Jesus. And then you get to Father God in heaven. 
Okay. So they had all of these ways they had to get to heaven and they knew they, their souls needed to get in heaven. They, they knew they were in hell. And so, cause there was so much suffering at the time. They knew they were in hell on earth, but they needed to know that they would have heaven after they left. So they went and did their homage. They did the Hail Marys. They did their mm-hmm. offerings. They tied to white Madonna. Mm-hmm. But when they wanted their life to work out, the one they were suffering in, the one of great oppression, whether it was the feudal lords or the kings and the queens or all the different ways that they were oppressing people in Europe, uh, they went to Black Madonna because the Black Madonna understood suffering. She understood what it takes to sustain life because that's why she came to them in the first place. Here's what to eat. This is where the water is. This is where the medicine is. I will grant you life. So when they wanted babies, they didn't pray to Mother Mary or White. They prayed for the Black Madonna because she knew how to give babies to those people who had been barren. She knew how to save them if they were sick or dying. She knew what to do. So there wasn't any competition in their mind and there wasn't any hierarchy that White Madonna is better or Black Madonna is better. No, they had two different functions. One was for your afterlife and one was for this life you're in right now, one you're going through. And you needed them both. And in the same way, you have Mother Mary and you have Mary Magdalene. Now, the church had to put both the Black Madonna and Mary Magdalene behind shrouds, veils of lies, so that you don't really elevate them the way they deserve to be. But so Mary Magdalene became poor, wanton, um, someone who had seven demons that had to be cast out of her. There were probably seven screams for equality, but that's another <laughs> <laughs> Anything like that was be called for a demonic behavior. Uh, so, you know, when you look at the way that Mary Magdalene has been treated, you know, as the one who walked with Jesus, who followed Jesus, who studied Jesus, who was there, he came to her first. Mm. Just like the people went to the Black Madonna first for their life. Help me here now. Mm-hmm. They, she, she was the one who continued his mission of helping the marginalized, going to those who were considered untouchable, unspeakable, unworthy, yeah. healing those that uh, were not deemed worthy of it. Oh, they're, they're not Jewish and have the right cast of Jews. I mean, the, he went out and dealt with every Gentile. Mm. Well, that's what Mary Magdalene continued to do. She continued to do the social justice work of healing the, where the need is, of teaching those who wanted to learn, even if they weren't Jewish, mm-hmm. even if they weren't male. Yes, women had a right to learn. Women had a lot right to understand their birthright and the truth of their innate divinity. So she went and did the work that people, the men were not doing. The, the disciples that were left were not doing. They were not reaching. They were not going out to reach the women. There's women, you don't talk to the women. You don't do anything with the women except have sex and make babies. That's all you do with them. You know, and, and that's not the lesson that Jesus came to teach. You know, he, that's not what he showed. That wasn't his walk. And so Mary Magdalene, you know, was doing this to the point where she was chased out of what is now called Israel. It wasn't then. Um, she was chased out of the Holy Land because she was doing the radical work that Jesus started. She was continuing to do that. And so were 
all of the other women who walk with Jesus and study with Jesus and were disciples of Jesus and who were with him at the cross and who were with him afterward and who paid for everything. Well, nobody talks about how the, the men were not working. They were not fishermen, carpenters, weren't doing anything. So how did they eat? How did they go from city to city? How did they get new sandals and new clothes, you know, of walking all around the country? Well, the women who were there were paying for everything. Mm. That already is radical. That the men were being taken care of by women, radical. That the women were at equal sitting with the men sitting right there beside the men, hearing the same messages, taking the same lessons, learning the same thing as the men, radical. What? Radical, 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 radical. They were not sitting in the back. No, they were not sitting in another room. No, they were right there side by side getting mm-hmm. the same message, same teaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, okay. because they weren't taken seriously, they spread Christianity. Christianity wouldn't be here if the women hadn't kept it alive that entire first century after That's death. Right. That's right. It was the right. women because the disciples were being killed very quickly. Right. So That's who kept right. the messages going? Yeah. It was the women, the women who walked with Jesus. The hundreds of women who walked with Jesus kept the, Christi- the Christian tales, the, the, the walks of Yeshua and his teachings, they kept it alive, spreading it from woman to woman to woman to woman to woman. And each woman told her husband, each woman told her children. And that's when the churches began. They're seeing more and more evidence in Israel of the early churches that were run by the women. In their homes, in their, in front, in their front rooms, you know, that's yes. where they were. Yep. Uh, and they were that's where the church became, the living right. room. The living room. And that's how you know it's woman to woman. <laughs> and it became woman to family, woman to family. Yeah. And that's the early church. And that's the women. They always want to talk about how the disciples did it. Well, actually, no. <laughs> well, they always want to talk about is that Peter built the church and he was the rock upon which they built it. Well, no, not really. <laughs> oh, boy, that's another one. Right, We're not talking cool? about that right now. We're talking about Black Madonnas and Mary Magdalene <laughs> and the social actions. We're not going down the Peter road. No, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. No, Peter and Paul. Mm-mm. That's oh. right. We, you, we, you know, started these on those two. That's the unheard stories, right? We're speaking about the stories that are the grassroots links and roots into the history and yes. into the social justice movement of the feminine being, you know, like the social justice movement being basically the movement that says all beings are equal. Everybody's to receive the teachings. Everybody's included. No one is unincluded, right? From this. No one is the wrong cast. No, no, no one's wrong. Cast. No, no one is the wrong color. No one is the wrong shape. No one is too sick. No one is too wealthy. Exactly. It doesn't matter. You know, and so that's a radical, I mean, a radical stance. Completely, for completely radical for, for the whole world um, mm-hmm. as they knew it. Okay, because they didn't know about Africa. Well, they knew Africa and Northern Africa, um, but they didn't know Sub-Saharan Africa. So the world, they they knew some things about Asia, but not much. The Americas didn't exist. So, you know, in, in the world that they knew, that is the Middle East, that triangle between Asia, Europe, and Africa, that they're at the, the Middle East is at, in the middle of that triangle of Europe, Africa, and Asia. And in that triangle, that's as big as the world was, and that's what they knew. Mm. So there is a lot of topics that you and I could jam on and discuss, Mm -hmm. and I'm aware Mm -hmm. that we need to wrap it up for today on the Red Podcast, but I just Mm. want to thank you for such a rich 
archaeological many-threaded journey that you've led us through in the last hour or so here. And I'm going to ask you, my darling, um, to answer three questions that come from Red herself. Yes, and, come on with it. Oh, yeah. Red would like to know these three things from you. I ask these questions to everybody. That's what she asked me to ask them. So here I am. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> so... R-E-D is an acronym. What does it stand for? In my opinion? Yeah. Or what do you call no, it? No, in your opinion, what comes to you? R-E-D stands for what? Reclaim. Enlighten and envision. Daughters, we're all the daughters of Eve. Yeah, all the daughters. Yes, love it. Thank you, thank you. Reclaim, enlighten, envision, daughters. Yes, we'll take it. Thank you, mother. Okay. Next, <laughs> next question is, my love, what is it that you avoid but secretly yearn to express more in your own life? Ooh. <laughs> Yearn for, mm -hmm. but it's, but what about a secret? What? Why is so a what secret? Do you, <laughs> this question always gets everyone. It's great. What do you avoid, but avoid. secretly yearn to express? Well, you know, for a long time, I avoided being, um, the conscious channel from mother mm -hmm. God. Um, for a long time, I uh, didn't let people know mm -hmm. that I could channel mother God in her forms as Mary Magdalene, in her form as the black Madonna, in her forms. Um, well, she has so many. <laughs> um, I didn't let people know that I avoided people finding that out about me um, because in the early days when I discovered that the voice in my head was different from my own voice. And when mm -hmm. I had the courage to ask, well, whose voice is it? Mm -hmm. and, and heard about Mother God. And I said, well, so that means you really are real. <laughs> she said, oh, yes, I'm real. And I'm here. And you're talking to me. And I shared it with a few people in the beginning in all of my enthusiastic ways saying, hey, it's true. My suspicions that there's a Mother God is true. And this is what she said. And, I, you know, some people met it with equal awe and delight. But most did not like it because it didn't line up with their theology. It didn't line up with their dogma of whatever religion we're talking about. Because Mother God has no religion. Uh, and that's when I learned to, hmm, let's not put that out on blast. Let's not tell too many people. Mm, mm. So I did yearn to know her better. And I had an intimate relationship with her uh, behind closed doors. Yeah. And then for a long time, I did avoid sharing it. And she let me know when it was time's up. She says, okay, time's up. That was cute. Now, uh, let's time, time to go to work. Time to share her. <laughs> time, time to share me. Let's go. <laughs> I'm like, ah, but the world is even more crazier than before. That's, That's right. why it's urgent that you get me out there. I have the medicine, the antidote for this raving patriarchal misogynist world. I have the antidote. Mm. And I had to have the courage to bring it. Yeah. 
And I think that's really true for so many of us, are, you know, have faced into that prejudice, into that judgment and humiliation and shaming and all the mm-hmm. rest of it. When we step forward with her voice, with her inside of us, expressing mm-hmm. through us. Yeah. Okay. So her final question that she wants all of her daughters to answer for her is, my beloved one, what is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? She she cuts straight to the chase. She don't. She's oh not yes. Around. <laughs> well, I think it, it goes back to the same. It goes back to question two, as in, well, say it again. What's the most? What's Re- the uh-huh. <laughs> This is what she said. What is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? Oh, that Mother God and the Black Madonna are coming through me as fiercely uh, as as a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, don't think and, that's being, I don't think that's that hidden actually darling well, well but you know <laughs> but it is you know as much as yeah. i'm talking to you about it yeah. i'm talking to you about it because i have discovered your safe space oh, bless it, you. i don't always have that with people so I for most it. people it is hidden they know something's different about me they know uh-huh. they can sense that there's very there's a big difference in me but they Hmm. Don't necessarily know why. Mm. Well, so it, it is hidden. I'm honored that it's being revealed in this space, and I'm honored that you're speaking from that place right now. Because in my, from my opinion, from what I said over here, this is what we need. What mm. we need is all of us to step forward on the edge of who we are and be willing to show it and speak about it and really allow. Um, all of us to come together in these kinds of spaces where we get to reveal ourselves and not be hidden in the ways that we yes. are. Mm-hmm. It's time. It's really important because, you know, in the same way that epigenetics, that we all can tap into the, the cellular memory in our epigenetics and find our first mother, the Ethiopian mm-hmm. that gave birth to all of us. In the same way we can find that, we can also find all of the cells and all of the mothers of ours who have been persecuted for their voice, who have been yeah. burned at the stake, who have been raped because they said what they weren't supposed to say, who have spoken out and been punished for it. So we also have the cellular memory of speaking a truth that goes against patriarchy and paying a cost for it. Mm-hmm. So that cellular memory in me was strong enough to say, hey, we're not going to be martyred again. We did a lot of lifetimes as martyred beings. Uh, let's sit this one out. <laughs> uh, you know that was really real for me i could remember those those lives of persecution and it was very real for me that if i say out loud in church that there's a mother god i will get worse than a slap on my leg oh, you know those things will happen to me um and so i had to really get over that terror mm. Mm. well I you know black black her. black yeah. bodies in America and globally as well, you know, are expendable. Yeah. Uh, killing black lives is, is, is a daily occurrence. It's not a big deal. Um, we've been having a state, well, it is a big deal to us and we matter and we need to matter to law as well. Oh, it's the law killing us. Well, that's another thing. Uh, so, you know, me as a black bodied woman, mm-hmm. I had every reason to be suspicious of patriarchy and, and white supremacy and, and as it comes through churches. Yeah. I had every reason to say, 
this is not a good idea. Yeah. So it is taking a lot to reveal myself. And yes, though I'm speaking to you in this way, it's taken me many years to be able to say it out loud to many audiences. It's taken me a lot of building up of my own relationship with the divine to say, to know that they are protecting me. I don't have to worry about protecting myself and keeping me safe. That they are protecting me because they have called me to this assignment. Mm-hmm. And we do know those who have answered the call by God to say things that go against uh, white supremacy and patriarchy have been killed for it, starting with Martin Luther King. You know, not starting with, just one example of that. Not starting with at all. Many were persecuted and killed before him, and many can't have come so after him. So I had no reason to think I would be safe. Mm. So it's so easy for white-bodied people to say, just speak your truth, it's going to be fine. No, 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 no. That's not the relationship to this country. Mm-hmm. People who have the audacity to speak the truth in America who are not white are heavily persecuted, heavily policed, heavily surveilled, he- uh, surveyed, um, heavily watched. Mm. Thank you for saying all of that. Thank you for being someone who is here to wake us up to that truth and that reality. Because as a white-bodied female, I know what it is to be oppressed as a female. I know what it is to not have a voice inside the patriarchy as a female, but I am not a woman of color. Mm. And I don't have that extra, very, very strong, powerful force that's in the way of my truth or my power or me stepping forward and trusting that I'm going to be received, you know, I'm going to get humiliated and shamed. I'm not going to get shot. Exactly. We don't have many examples of white women being persecuted to the point of martyrdom exactly. uh, for speaking their truth. Now, called crazy, put in an mm-hmm. insane asylum or a nunnery. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there was a time when you were burnt at the stake. But that, you know, that era has ended. And now you just find other ways to be um limited whereas we are still getting burnt at the stake i will native women latino women we're still getting burnt at the stake for saying our truth which is why we're here which Which is is why why we're here so i want to thank you for your your courage and your heart and your strength and your tenacity and all the all the all the beauty that you just brought to us sweetheart because i really feel it and it's an honor to sit with you and I've been honored to bring you Anasuya Isaacs today. And if you want to find out more about her work, um, you can find out all the details on the speaker page and connect with her there. But I know that you're going to be back, sweetheart. I know I'm going to be asking you back because there's so many questions and so many places that we could deepen into in the conversation uh, about what it means for us to be her voice at this time. Mm. Well, I, I thank you so much for this warm welcome and for these um, beautifully hmm. uh, poised questions that uh, help me to bring forth the, the truth as I have been given and as I've lived it. And I look forward to talking to you more about it because uh, more women hearing the voice that is mothers that comes through them, that is in them, that has always been in them, so crucial at this time. If, if we are to turn back the damage that we have done to the earth, to the animals, to the oceans, to all of nature, if we're going to turn back the way um, the capitalistic consumption, consumerism and consumption 
driven, greedy way, if we are to turn back those things, it is the woman and the woman's voice that has the medicine to do that. Because we instinctively take care of the tribe. We instinctively look at how can we all survive this? How can we all benefit? How can we all get out of this? We think in terms of we, and it's the we consciousness that is going to have us birth new solutions to age old problems of patriarchy. But we have to have, it has to start with us awakening to mother's voice inside. She's always been speaking to us. It's always been a voice. It's always been there. No one is going to get it put in them. It's already there. But you may need some assistance in uh, erasing the obstacles to your hearing. And that's one of the things I offer as a, as a mystic midwife. I just help people to remember who they are and to hear her voice again. And then once you hear the voice again, you don't need me. You, you, don't, you don't need me. I'm just the midwife. I help you to rebirth yourself in the truth of who you are, in that reclaiming. Mm-hmm. And then, then you are a sovereign being. And in your sovereignty, you can create your own queendom. And not queendom as in better than king, not queendom as in I rule this, but queendom as in sovereign connection to the I am that I am able to determine how your world spins. Mm. We don't have many sovereign beings. No. But they are needed. More are needed. Blessed, blessed be on that. Thank you, my love. And to all of you who've been listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. We'll see you very soon on the next episode of The Red Podcast. Blessings and much love to y'all. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings.